Chatting with Justin Clark, our Operations Director at Orbvist. Justin, appreciate your time today. We've had a, a couple of interviews, uh, myself and MoneyWeb now, uh, Rake for Nikok, of course, with various different partners from Orbvist, uh, Hedy Besedenhout, uh, executives out of the US, uh, most notably uh, Martin Freeman, your CEO. And it's actually quite a fascinating tale of South Africans you know, heading off to the U.S. in a specialized segment of the economy. And healthcare, you know, 18% of GDP in the U.S., and that's a $4 trillion economy. Stats you sent me, the value of the buildings in the healthcare is a trillion dollars on their own. It is a giant space. Give us some of the background on how a group of South Africans thought they could become, and ultimately did become, a, a major player in this market. Yes, thanks, Simon. Always uh, good to be online with you. And um, I must say we were on last Tuesday, was it, with that very yeah. interesting fireside chat. So, yeah, uh, good to be on again. As you said, you know, you've, you have managed to uh, have a few of us online. So you've had the story from specifically our chairman, uh, Henny Bezaidenhout, and I'll, I'll start the story up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Henny is a, a very interesting character. He likes to stay below the radar. <laughs> and um, quietly over the last 30 years, he's built up this uh, significant portfolio of uh, medical office buildings and hospitals in South Africa in his own right under mm-hmm. his, his ben- benchmark uh, a group. And so, you know, he's, he's built up this, uh, this expertise in the medical office space. And like with a lot of us in South Africa, you know, he was uh, looking to diversify, get some of his wealth offshore. And um, he eventually ended up finding the U.S. and discovering, much to his amazement, that, uh, you know, the U.S. actually works quite similarly to South Africa. And I think okay. he said on the webinar the other day, it's uh, more than 80%. I think he actually quoted 92% of Americans are covered by private healthcare insurance, whereas in South Africa, probably it's, uh, you know, it's, it's closer to 20%. But it's very similar in the fact that, uh, you know, most of Europe in the first world, the government provides healthcare. There's a form of national healthcare, in which case you become the price taker. If you own a medical building, the chances mm-hmm. are, if you don't let it out to government, it's a very, very small market. So it's very attractive in the U.S. And, um, and he, when he started getting involved in looking at the U.S. and acquiring the first buildings in the U.S., it was almost not a segment on its own. It was sort of lumped under office. You know, they didn't even consider it to be, a, 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 you know, it was hospitals and then there were offices. They, were, they weren't medical offices. But medical offices on their own make up sort of 500, $500 billion of that trillion-dollar uh, asset. So it's a massive market, some 36-odd thousand buildings um, in the medical office space. And, um, yeah, super attractive. So I think that's really uh, the beginning of the story. And, uh, and, then, and then the rest of us sort of got involved a little bit later on. I mean, Martin Freeman was uh, you know, ex- one of the ex-founders of Bayport Financial Services in mm-hmm. South Africa, fell in love with the U.S., moved to New York, uh, started to dabble in, in, in real estate there. And, um, and, of course, met Henny and fell in love with uh, medical offices and realized the benefits. And, um, yeah, the rest of us, the story is similar. Yeah, I think I mentioned on our, on our last uh, chat that uh, many years ago, uh, I actually uh, developed a, a medical office building in, in yeah. Durban, South Africa, mm. and um, went past there 30 years later uh, just to go and have a look, and, and the, the same tenants are there. I mean, it's quite <laughs> remarkable. And that is part of the attraction. You guys always talk to me. Yeah, you know, the statement, your doctor doesn't move. You might move, but your doctors don't. You mentioned that fireside chat, and one of the things Barrett mentioned, you were saying that he says there is value in local REITs, and that there is some opportunity in, in this local market, and of course, that avoids the hassle of going offshore. But but what is the obvious offer that makes attractive for those looking for, for other opportunities, I suppose? Yeah, I think uh, you know, it comes down to um, 
the value that there is in the REITs in South Africa. So I think we've got to put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, while, while obviously Bharat, you know, he's heavily invested in REITs, he's got a deep understanding from the inside. I think if you were to bet on, on real estate in South Africa, considering that real estate is driven by a few fundamentals. One, if you want to make sure that the wave is behind you, you want to make sure that there is growing GDP, that there's growing demand for your buildings and mm. the fact that uh, the economy is growing and the type of buildings that you've got are going to be in more demand tomorrow than they were yesterday. And we know that, you know, REITs and, and, and the funds in South Africa, you know, are, are highly stocked with retail and with office that have been, you know, the, the stars of the, of, uh, of the past. But, um, you know, I think you need to consider is that where you would put your hard-earned cash? And I think... Uh, Another thing that came on that on that webinar the other night, uh, but we often talk about it. If you were to fly up to the moon and look down and uh, and take your your hard earned cash with you, and then think about where you would put your money in this yeah. market in the moment, would how high would South Africa kind of feature in in the in, in your um, in your priority list? And the chances are probably not. Even if you look at equities, JC hasn't done well over the over the last uh, you know uh, few decades um and uh, sure there's been a, a few opportunities where there's been little lumps and bumps but you, there you have to be you have to be a trader you've got to be on the inside you've got to know what's going on so ultimately what would you look at you choose stable economies you choose an asset perhaps that's a little bit more stable um that you understand that there's some future growth potential in it and um and that's how you would think looking at it from the moon. Yeah. So when we're sitting in South Africa, we've got a very biased view. You know, we think of, mm, we've driven past the building, we like it, we can see it, it's <laughs> concrete, um, and, and, and we'll put our money in there. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very different. If you just pull yourself away from, from, from the situation and you look at it from above, you would make very different decisions to what you're making at the moment. Yeah, and you already have that concentration via Reg 28, but also our, our REIT industry in South Africa is quite narrow. It is, it is. you know, we, we've got some office, some retail, some industrial, not a heck of a lot. For the investor who's looking, he, he takes your story and says, 100%, I'm interested in offshore, I'm interested in property. Uh, they're probably looking at a, at, at a REIT for dollar, diversification. Why Orbvest as opposed to a typical uh, REIT in the U.S.? No, that's a great question. Um, so, so the first thing is, okay, I'm going to go offshore. I'm nervous of the markets because I believe that there's probably going to be some form of correction, interest rate hikes, people moving their money out of the markets. I'm looking for something a bit more solid. Where do I go? I'm too far away. I can't manage the asset myself. Mm-hmm. Why don't I just go into a REIT? And I guess, you know, the concern there is um, similar to South Africa. The REITs generally are REITs that are focused on a spread of different assets. And again, quite heavily invested in retail and office for the yeah. same reasons in South Africa. And um, yeah, it, it certainly is a solution for some investors. But I think, you know, if you, if you, you know, for most of us kind of simple folk, um, you know, we like to understand what we're investing in. And, and, and the benefit of what we put together is we strip out all the assets that are not related to the, to the building that we're talking about. In mm-hmm. other words, you invest in a specific building. You can literally go to the building and kick the concrete. You can have a look at the tenants, you know, look in their eyes if you like. Um, so it makes it very tangible. And um, you, you, when you buy into, when you invest in a building, you know the tenants are, how long they're going to be there, what the Walt is, the average lease period, you know what sort of income you're earning from those tenants. You know everything about that thing. You, you, you're equipped to make that decision. 
And um, and I think that's the difference between an offshore REIT and what we're offering. You almost make your own fund in the sense that I can buy a couple of your different buildings and create my own little U.S. medical property fund. Absolutely. You've heard Martin talk about, you know, even though these things are, are, are very secure because they're stable assets, mm-hmm. not in developments or anything like that, um, you should always spread your, your risk and build up a nice little portfolio. Take a little bit of five buildings rather than put all your whole life savings into one building. Yeah. If an investor is interested, and it, it's as easy as going to the website, orbvesta.com, uh, but the medical buildings and the like, well, what sort of returns are you getting from your, your medical offices uh, and the like in the U.S.? Well, we have a, a, a sort of a, a minimum target of uh, 7% cash on cash. Mm-hmm. And how that works, Simon, is that uh, we, we basically we collect the rent in every quarter and we distribute whatever's left in that account, uh, less a little bit of a buffer, every quarter. So mm-hmm. roughly 2% a quarter we've managed to pay out over the last couple of years. Um, remember, it differs from building to building. It differs. We've got three different risk profiles from a uh, absolute core asset, which is as good as a bond, as, as good as a, a government bond. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm stepping over the line there, but um, it's a very very secure asset. And then there's something with, that's a little bit got a little bit of excitement, a slightly higher RR, a sort of a, a 15 to 18, 17 percent RR. Mm-hmm. But then there's a little bit of risk that you might you might uh, not get your your full dividend uh, if there's a disruption, a COVID or something like that. So so in between there. Um, you know, as I say, eight percent is what you can rely on as far as a uh, cash-on-cash annual income. Compare that to REIT in South Africa, which you might get a similar return, but it's in South African rands. Once again, go back to that moon position yeah. and consider: should I be investing in South African rand assets, or should I be investing in U.S. dollar assets? And I think uh, you know that 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 becomes simple. <laughs> so quite quite simply, at the end of the five-year period, Simon, what we do is we sell the, the building off. That's the mandate that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, we take the capital appreciation. There's always appreciation. Why? Because the rentals have escalation. Yeah. And then uh, of course that capital growth we then share with the investor, and that knocks your RR up. So basically, sort of between seven and nine cash on cash, and uh, ten to seventeen percent RR. A quick last question. Lots of worries around China slowdowns. Evergrande is the is the current one. Inflation, rising rates in the U.S. I mean, many of these. I mean, China slowing down. Evergrande it really doesn't impact someone in 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 Florida needing to go and see a specialist. That's going to happen regardless. Inflation, rising rates. What sort of impact could that have? Even if particularly the rates in the U.S. are but maybe still a year or two away. Uh, Simon, I think your job is going to get very interesting in the next uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, you're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you know sometimes we talk about our assets as being slightly boring, mm-hmm. and um, and and the reason for that is that these are bricks and mortar assets. Um, we sign long leases. Um, you know, our, our, our triple net our triple net buildings basically our wealth is 12 years. That means there's a, there's a lease from a from a credit tenant, someone who's going to pay the rent regardless for 12 years, and we're only in for five years. So yeah. you know, it's it's absolutely uh, you know as secure as you can possibly get. And then we fix the interest rate. So so you know uh, the, okay. the risk there is contained. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in the stock market and what's happening at the moment is people are starting to divest some of their stocks and putting that money into more secure investments, government bonds or, or uh, of course, um, uh, you know, specific niches of real estate of which, which we are the, the honey at the moment.
We'll leave it there, but I take your point on boring. I always say markets should be boring. If you want fun, go to Finstartens River and jump off the bridge, do a bungee jump. We'll leave it there. That's Justin Clark, Operations Director, Orvest. Justin, appreciate the time today. Thank you, Simon.